Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Currington as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 27. We're going to be looking at 27 through 30 as we look at P. Or, you know, I just messed up all together today is on the warnings and ultimatums. I didn't change that title side, but it's warnings and ultimatums. Let me ask you, talking to our two uh, almost teenagers, one, one teacher and teenager and one young lady, do you like warnings and ultimatums? Do you like it when your parents say, do this or else? Or your teachers, do you like those types of things? Typically, I don't. I don't think, is anyone here like those types of things? We, we typically don't. We don't respond well when someone gives us a warning with an ultimatum. They seem to rankle us. They make us more defiant, actually more self-willed. However, the majority of times, warnings and ultimatums are necessary and important, aren't they? They, they protect us, they guide us, they lead us in the way that we should go. They, they keep us from trouble. And if we follow them, if we obey them, they actually help us to prosper if we heed them. Yet we continue to struggle when someone lays down the law, so to speak, and say, follow this or else. Well, last week we considered the stipulations of the various laws from the covenant that were given at Mount Sinai that will lead to peace and safety in the promised land. We learn that peace and safety, as we think about it in our own context and our own culture here in, the, here in the United States, where in our world, so to speak, or even in our marriages, in our families, we all want peace and safety, but peace and safety only comes through worshiping of Yahweh, of worshiping God. And we do that as we love God and we love our neighbor as ourself. Today, we're going to come to chapters 27 through 30 of the fifth book of the Pentateuch. And these sections cover the end of Moses' second sermon and the beginning of his third. Remember, uh, Deuteronomy consists of three sermons or speeches by Moses. And we're coming to the end of the second and the beginning of the third. Their time to enter the promised land is very, very close. They're ready to go. They're anxious. They're biting at the bit, so to speak. This new generation, uh, they're going to prosper and succeed where their parents failed. And so here's where they're going. This is what they're going to do. But before they go, Moses needs to give them some last-minute instructions and stipulations that Yahweh is giving them, that they must obey the law. If, you, if you're going to enjoy what I'm going to give you, you, you must obey the law that I've given you. And today he's going to include some warnings and ultimatums if they do not do so. So with that, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 1 through 3. Read that with me. It's silently as I read out loud. It's also here on the monitor. It says, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land that your Lord the God has given you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And on them you shall write all the words of this law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God has given you, it's a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord your God of your fathers or the Lord the God of your fathers has promised you. Father, give us wisdom and help us to be able to listen to your word and hear it. Let it come alive to us. A letter that's difficult, that's far removed from us to a land, uh, that's, uh, that to a people that are no longer here, 
a law that sometimes can be difficult and strange. But Lord, it has truth for us. So Lord, I pray that I would speak words that are edifying, that build up. Lord, if we need a word of rebuke, let us accept it. And Lord, let us respond to the Holy Spirit's work. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor John MacArthur summarizes Deuteronomy up to this point when he writes, The heart of Deuteronomy is found in this second long speech of Moses that we've been going through these last two or three weeks. This law that the Moses explained to Israel, this is after a brief introduction, Moses gives the people a clear understanding of what the law had directed concerning their relationship with the Lord and the Lamb. They concluded by recounting the blessings or the curses that would come upon the nations as the consequence of their response to the stipulations of the law. And so that's where we come today. Now Moses is now going to say, here are the blessings if you follow me, and here are the curses if you refuse to follow me. To remind them of the covenant, Yahweh instructs them to build and set up what I call markers of, resi of, of not resistance, but markers of remembrance. It might be resistance because that's how their heart was, but markers of, re of remembrance. These were markers would consist of large stones that they then would plaster. And the reason why plaster is because it would make it white and then they would to write on there the law. So as people would come around that mountain in that area, it would remind them of the law. A child walking with his father would say, what, what does that mean? What, what is that? Why is that there? And he would have an opportunity to share with them. Others who would walk by and see that from the other nations would inquire, what are these types of laws and why is that here? And so it was a stone or a mark of remembrance to help them to remember that the covenant that God made with them. And after setting up the markers of remembrance, those stones, they were then to gather as a whole tribe, all 12 tribes, and conduct a ceremony that would include building a stone altar where they would perform the required sacrifices and share a meal together and then worship as one body and worship God for the covenant that he made with them. It would end with all of the tribes swearing allegiance to God. Look with me at chapter 27, verse 9. As Yahweh instructs, then Moses and the Levite priests said to all of Israel, Keep silence and hear, O Israel. In other words, this is important. Listen to what I'm about to say. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. God had made a covenant. There is now a special relationship, kind of as a, as a man and a, and a woman will make to become husband and wife. There is a covenant. There is a new relationship. Verse 10. You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God, keeping his commandments and statutes, which I commanded you today. Then Moses instructs them to split into two groups. They're going to stand one group on one mountain, one group on another. They're going to be split evenly among the 12 tribes, six on one, six on the other. One group would declare the agreement with the blessings that would come from obedience. He would say, if you do this, then God will do this. And they would say, amen. So be it. We agree. We want to be part of this. While the other side would then declare the agreement with the curses. If you do not do this, this is what happened. And they would then shout out, amen. So be it. We agree. The list of curses is found there in chapter 27. We're not going to go over all of them. <coughs> Verses 11 through 26. 
You can see those very quickly. And they include curses against those who make carved images or dishonor their parents, move their neighbor's landmarks, mislead a blind man, pervert justice, sexual immorality, one who would murder his neighbor or takes a bribe or goes against the law of God. In chapter 28, Yahweh promises there in verse 21, look at chapter 28 in verse 1. So once they give that, they were to say amen. This is something that says, we now understand the, the warnings, the ultimatums, the curses, if we do not follow. But in the same way in the blessings, look at 28 verse 1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all of His commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God, here, listen, here's His promise, will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of your own. Now first, overtake you sounds almost like a negative. That's what, a, that's what an enemy does, right? An army overtakes another. But in this case, he's saying the blessings are going to be so much that you're not going to be able to handle them all. You know, count your blessings. Name them one by one or your cup overflows. These blessings, as you continue in that chapter, include success in their business enterprises, in their agriculture, in their farming, in fruitful and being in childbearing, the increase of their cattle and their herds and flocks. These are their farm animals, the ways they would make money in, in their enterprises and general favor among the people. Moses instructs them there in verse 9 of chapter 28. Follow me with me, continue. And by the way, if you do not have a Bible, please let me know. I'd love to give you one. It says, if they continue in obedience, look at 28 verse 9. He says, the Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself. As he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. God had a special purpose for these Hebrew children, these 12 tribes, Israelites, as they would become known. And the reasons for these warnings and ultimatums, this obey me, do not go to the right nor to the left, but just follow my law. The reasons for these warnings and ultimatums is for them to remain pure and holy, set apart, a, a people for God's treasured possession. So others will see and say, yes, they are different. They are strange to us, but yet there's something special about them. You know, that's our call today as well. You know, while the world is, is, is concerned and going crazy, some and depressed about what's going on, whether it's COVID-19 or whether it's the election or what's going on, the, the, the mark and the, and the way that a Christian lives and is concerned during this time is mark, should be markedly different. Should we be concerned? Yes. Should we be cautious? Yes. But we recognize that God is in control and we have a faith in Him. The reason is because they're going to be a treasured possession for God. They're going to be a light to the Gentiles. The way in which they worship, the way in which they live and interact with each other is going to glorify God and for their good. But here's what's interesting. As he's giving them this warnings, the ultimatums, the blessings, the promises, 
God already knows that they cannot do this. They cannot fully obey him and his laws. He knows that they will eventually fail. And there's two outcomes from this. This is going to be on the screen if you're taking notes. Number one, God knows that they will fail in their obedience. And eventually they will rebel against his authority. God knows that they will fail in their obedience and eventually rebel against his authority. God and his sovereignty and his omniscience, that's a big word. Omniscience just means that God knows everything. There is nothing that God does not know. He knows that they will fail to obey his laws. He knows that they will abandon the covenant to chase after other gods. They will desire women from the other nations and they will succumb to the temptation to follow the pagan, wicked cultures of their neighbors. Their failure to conform to God's law will bring down those curses promised for disobedience. Their curses are outlined in chapter 28, 15 through 68. You can read more about those curses. And those curses will affect every facet of their lives. Look at chapter 28 and look at verse 62. Yahweh through Moses warns them. Whereas you were numerous as the stars of the heaven. You started as one person. You went into Egypt as 70. You came out as millions as they get ready. He says you're numerous. You shall be left few in number. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. Verse 6 to 3. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you. So the Lord will take delight... In bringing ruin upon you. Think of that. Just as much as a a father loves to give good gifts to them. He says, I'm going to be like an enemy who's going to take as much pleasure in ruining you. Those are strong words. You should be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Look at verse 64. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples. From one end of the earth to the other. There you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. Which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no respite. There shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. But the Lord will give you there a trembling heart. And failing eyes and a languishing soul. These are not good, kind, comforting words. Look at verse 66. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You will never know if you have tomorrow or not. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. I don't know about you, but that would not be the way that I would choose to live my life not knowing where my next meal is coming from, where I'm going to stay the night, whether or not I'm going to be sheltered from the elements, or whether or not someone would come and take all that belongs to me, or take my life. Knowing that God will not give me sunshine or rain when I need it, and that there'll be no good that'll be coming to me. And of course, as we continue to read through the Old Testament, we find that generation after generation 
failed to obey and keep the covenant of the fathers. Now, remember, you and I are reading what God gave to them. This was what to be, was to be put upon those stones that they plastered. It was to remind them. They were to learn these things. And knowing these curses, they still chose to reject God and his word and his authority. Instead, they ran hard-hearted into rebellion against the Almighty God, the creator, their provider. They refused to acknowledge his authority and his providence and his grace towards them. The 12 tribes would eventually separate into two different nations that would be at constant warfare against each other. Eventually, both nations would be defeated, conquered, and expelled from the promised land. They would spend centuries under the heavy hands of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and the Roman empires. Even today, they do not enjoy the full blessings of God in their land. To sum it up, they failed to heed the warnings and ultimatums of God. Now, some of you could probably give testimony to the same thing. Of times when you did not heed the warnings and ultimatums of authorities in your life, whether it's parents or teachers, an employer, the government, so on and so forth. Scripture. You say, yes, I have paid a high price for my failure to conform to God's law. Maybe even today you're saying, uh, my health or my finances or my marriage, my relationships, uh, my heart is still struggling with those decisions. It's a hard price to pay to reject God. But number two, not only did God know that they will fail in their obedience, but number two, the second outcome, is that in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their rebellion, God promises to bring them to repentance and faith. In spite of their rebellion, God promises to bring them to repentance and faith. Look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 30. And here we read of God's wonderful grace and mercy to his rebellious children. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 30. Yahweh through Moses says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. So this is when you have been driven out when you are living out the, the curses because you have rejected and rebelled against me, listen to this. He says, when that has happened and you called into mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, in verse 2, and return to the Lord your God and your children, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart, with all your soul, then, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes, and have mercy on you. He will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. Verse 4, if your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess, and he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. In spite of the rebellion, God promises to bring them to repentance and faith, even after rejecting his authority and rule. God promises to keep his covenant with them. 
Again, there are several stipulations that come with that renewal. The people must remember the law. They must return their hearts to true worship. And they must, again, obey his law with all of their heart, soul, and mind. Then when they do that, God promises to restore their fortunes, to have mercy on them, to gather them again, gather them again to the land and to make them prosperous and numerous again. Now these are wonderful promises, especially to those that have rejected God. But the greatest, I think, is found in verse 6 of chapter 30. Look with me there. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on you, on your foes, excuse me, and the enemies who persecuted you. In verse 8, And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all His commandments that I commanded you today. In the end, this is what they truly needed, more than land, and fortune and peace. They needed their hearts to be circumcised. They needed their hearts to be turned towards God. John MacArthur writes this quote. You'll see it here on the screen. It says, this work of God, when he speaks of a circumcised heart, this is a work of God in the innermost being of an individual. Is the true salvation that grants a new will to obey him in place of the former spiritual insensitivity and stubbornness. This new heart will allow the Israelites to love the Lord wholeheartedly. And this is the essential feature of the new covenant. And as we take uh, communion later, we are going to be participating and remembering. That's our stone of remembrance of our covenant. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 36, if you would, still in the Old Testament, a little bit further. Later, God is going to renew this promise to Israel to circumcise their hearts, to give them a new one through the prophets and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 36, look at verse 24. God, once again, now remember, they are now dispersed. They have rejected. They have lived out the curses of God. They are they're in uh, Babylon and other parts of the Middle East, Middle East. He says in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and I will gather you from all the countries and I will bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put into you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And you and I must recognize that all who are born, all of humanity has a, is born with a, a heart of stone. One that is hardened against God. Verse 30, 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues and be careful to obey my voice. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from your uncleanness. That's God's promise. He gave it there in Deuteronomy. If you reject and rebel, there will be a day where I will come again and renew this covenant. He gives it back to them here in Ezekiel, hundreds, centuries later. 
But as I'm reading this, maybe you're like me and you might ask, well, why didn't God just do that in the first place? With the old covenant, when he first gave it to them. Before he went to the promised land, why didn't God circumcise their heart then? Why didn't he take out that heart of stone and give them a new heart? If he knew they were going to fail, then why did he allow it to happen? If he knew that they would not be able to fill their part of the, co- of the covenant, why did he go through all of the motions? For centuries, Israel continually rebelled against God, forgetting all of his goodness towards them. Time after time, God would send prophets to call them back to repentance, only to have them ignored, threatened, and even killed. There would be some respite as a few kings would respond positively to the call, but only to fall deeper into sin the next time. Century after century, this cycle would repeat, rebel, repent, restore, then back to rebellion once again. That's the story of the Old Testament. Like all of humanity, we are born with a lethal case. Get this. We are all born with a lethal case of spiritual blindness. That's why we pray for our our children. My prayer for for Lando all the time is that God will one day open up his heart, prepare to open his heart that he may see and choose God. That's my prayer for our young ladies and for our, our little babies, that one day God will open their hearts and they may see God for who he truly is. Thank you. Though they were recipients of the law, speaking of the Israelites, And though they had experienced many of the wondrous miracles and the providence and the protection of God, some uh, uh, right in person, personally, they could not truly see God for who He is. And make no mistake, let let me give you some warnings, parents is it is important to bring your child to church and to hear the message. And I know sometimes it's difficult when it's from the pulpit and not in, in, in down into their level, but I will share with you, it still rolls. It's still there for them. They still are hearing the word of God, but let's not expect that they will just catch it. And because of their attendance and taking communion or being even baptized, that they truly are born again. We must recognize that that is a work of God. And so we must always be encouraging them. Do you see God for who he is? They may know Bible stories. They may know things of the Bible. They may know scripture, but they don't truly know God. And unfortunately, I know I'm on a little bit of an editorial rant. Just bear with me just a second. It's unfortunately, it's a sad note that there are many churches and pews and even pulpits filled with people who think they know God, but they truly don't. They know about God. They know facts about God, but they do not truly know God. It's like me. Ask me some facts about Michael Jordan, one of my favorite heroes. I love Jordan. I can give you many of his stats. I can tell you why I believe he is the goat, and he is. No doubt about it. But I do not know Michael Jordan. I know about him, but I do not know him. They could not understand God. Like all of humanity, their minds were hostile towards God. 
even though they were his chosen people. So let me go once again, parents, recognize that your children's minds are hostile towards God. I know that was at least once hostile towards God. Maybe it is still today. If not, I pray that God will give you a circumcised heart, that he'll replace that stony heart with a heart of flesh, one that could choose him. Even though they were God's chosen people, treasured among all the creation, their minds truly were hostile to God. But yet, even in that hostility, even in our rebellion, our active rebellion and disobedience, God shows His mercy and grace in providing a way for His children to truly obey and follow His commands. In Jeremiah 131, he knew that they needed a new heart. And after their failure to fulfill the part of the covenant, soon after they, they had been conquered and dispersed, God promises them once again that the days are coming when I will give you a new covenant. I will give you a new heart. <clears throat> this is what you and I need. Now God in his wisdom waited until it was time. Again, why did God not do it then? Look at Jeremiah once again. Behold, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them out of Egypt. In other words, God says, I know that the old covenant could not do what I required. So I'm going to make a new covenant. He says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Again, this is what you and I need. This is what your children need. This is what your spouse needs. It's what your parents need. It's what your friends need. They need their sins forgiven and their sins remembered no more. And that's the promise of the new covenant. So why are we talking about the old covenant? Because the old covenant points to the new covenant. And why did God do it that way? Why did he waste his time, so to speak, in our vernacular? Why didn't he just do that at the beginning? Well, God in his wisdom waited until it was time. Looking back at Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. This is a verse that you need to understand. Underline it, highlight it in your Bible. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, we read this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. What we see in there is that there are two wills of God. There is a secret will and there is a revealed will. And I know this is geeky again, but we need to understand it. Why did God wait for centuries? Why was there a time period delay? Why did he not give the, the best covenant first? We do not know. That's the secret will of God. So there are things that you and I will not know. We will not know 
if God wants us to get married or who we're going to get married. The Bible will not tell us who if we're to buy a house or where we're to buy a house. He will not tell you where or when to go to college or how much to spend on something. God does not tell us those. Those are his secretive things, but he has revealed his will to us, which is his word. And so for you and I, we must understand his word. And what does his word tell us? That God's story of redemption has been continuing from the beginning until today and through today. The story of redemption is simple. We think of creation. God created all things good. But yet we know that man rebelled and fell. And from that day, from Genesis 3.15, we see the story of redemption until the day on the cross. In the Gospels. The story of redemption is simple. It's God is redeeming man. Reconciling man back to God. And in his wisdom, in his secretive will, but yet also revealed to us, is God gave an old covenant first. The first covenant to the tribes of Israel. And in it he says, these are the things that I am requiring of you. Here are the things that I am doing to reconcile you back to myself. So for you and I, when we look at Israel, the Bible tells us that the revealed will of God is that Israel was to be an example for you and I. That we are to look at their actions and their choices, their history, and informs us how God works today, even in our own lives. For you and I are as Israel was then. We have rejected God. We have rejected his authority. We have heard the word of God, but yet many times, most times, we fail to obey. And God is giving warnings and ultimatums even to his children. Galatians 4, verse 4 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, But when the fullness of time came. So God from eternity past had a time when he said, the new covenant, the true circumcised of the heart will happen. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoptions as sons. He would go on to write that Jesus became that curse for us. So when you look at Deuteronomy and you see those curses, those list of curses that were going to be given to Israel if they failed to obey him, what we find in scripture is that Jesus became the curse for us. When we failed to conform to God's law, he stood in our place and said, put those curses on me. Galatians chapter 3, I believe this should be on the monitor. Paul writes, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. We can't obey the law of God. Our minds are hostile to it. Our hearts are spiritually blind. We could not do it. It is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law. You and I could not do that. And since we cannot, we are all cursed Verse 11, now it is evident that no one is justified or made right by God by the law. For we cannot do it. The righteous shall live, though, instead by faith, by trusting in Christ. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
In other words, if you want to work, choose to live by the law, then you must obey him all completely. But we know that we cannot. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. This is so important. So when I, you and I see Deuteronomy and we see the folly and the futile of Israel to obey, you and I should be encouraged that we look to a different, a better covenant that God has made with us. In the new covenant, the new covenant provides what the old covenant could not do. God not only calls for repentance in the face and to faith, but he also offers us forgiveness. For we were number two, we refused, or number one, we refused to obey. But God still offers us forgiveness. When we confess our sin, when we repent and see that it's not the right way, and we turn and we follow and put our trust in Christ. You and I have a much better covenant than Israel did. The old covenant had no power to transform hearts and minds. It had no power to submit our wills to that of the Father. It could only show us our need for a Savior. Though we are not ancient Israel, He still calls for you and I to obey Him this morning. Jesus said that if we love Him, we will obey His commandments. Our lives are to be marked with holiness. But let me ask you, how does that work? Because if you're like me, you're saying, man, I'm looking in the mirror and I'm not seeing a whole lot of holiness a lot of times. In our own minds, in our, in our, in our quiet moments. We know that we don't meet up to the mark. But the power to live in holiness has been given to us. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through Christ. And it's through the Holy Spirit who guides us through the Word of God. Be ye holy as I am holy. What does that mean? How do I do that? We find it's by obeying the will of God through His Word. Jesus prayed for you and I in John 17, 17, that the Father would sanctify them, set us apart, make us holy in the truth, because his word is truth. Just as Israel was called to write down the words of the law and then obey them, we are called to obey God's commands. Unfortunately, like Israel, many who profess to be Christians have neglected the teachings of scriptures. They have ignored the warnings and ultimatums of God. And they have rejected the authority of the Father. As I stand here this morning, my goal is, my wish is for my own heart to follow Him and to live a life of holiness. And as elders, that's our goal and desire for you. To become a lifelong seeker of the kingdom of God. To live a life of holiness. Of one that's marked by obedience, not rejection of God, but acceptance. Not rebellion, but obedience. Steve Lawson tweets this about a, a contradiction in terms. Another word for a Christian is a, or description is a, a follower, a discipler, or a disciple of Christ. One who follows Christ. And we all say, well, yes, we're, we're disciples of Christ, right? If we obey him, right? But listen to this contradiction in terms. A disciple who does not follow Christ. A believer who does not confess Jesus. 
or a Christian who does not obey him. But yet we have many who would profess Christ, who would come to church, who might give, who might serve, who might teach, but yet they do not follow Jesus. They do not confess him and they do not obey him. And so I call you to attention this morning. Are you a contradiction of terms? Or are you a Christ follower? Instead, you and I are not to be conformed to the world as ancient Israel was, but we're to be transformed. And how are we transformed? When we meditate and read and apply God's word to our life. And I'm clearly, I'm getting very clear to being done here. I want to just follow with me just for a moment. You see, this is where Israel failed. They desired to do what was right in their own eyes, to be like all the other nations around them. And we too suffer from this same temptation. We want to be like others. We want to dress like our friends. We want to listen to the same music. We want to do the same things that they do. Their desires many times are our, are our desires. But we cannot be like the world. That was the warning and ultimatum of 1 John. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. For the things that are of the world are not of the Father. Those things will be bunched up and burned in judgment. One missionary comments, it's here on the scripture, a missionary to Japan. Listen to what he says. And this is my desire that you would have this same type of desire. It is absolutely necessary for me to know the word of God so that I can live a life characterized by holiness. Do you know the Word of God? Is it a part of your, your weekly or daily plan to, to read Scripture, to meditate on the things of God? The power of the Word is not just to convert people to have eternal life or life eternal, but also to make them have a life of holiness. Let us be diligent students of the Word so that our lives can be totally set apart to our God. I think those are good words for you and I to emulate, to make part of our commitment this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, I don't know if you still have your Bibles open, but in that verse, God admonishes the little Israelites, and you may want to just underline this little phrase, where he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death, and evil. What do you choose today? What will your children choose? Your children choose. What will those that watch your life at work in the neighborhood? Will they see those stones of remembrance, the words of God, and say that they're pure? And they lead to life and godliness and holiness. Let's choose life. Let us, let us set up stones of remembrance by teaching our children the word of God, committing to read and meditate on scriptures, uh, to bring that into our family and into our life individually, and yielding to the Holy Spirit's work and making us freer from sin and more like Jesus every day. If every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask uh, just Randy to come on up at this time as we're going to go into pastor's prayer and then communion.
I pray that that's your commitment this morning. Would you choose life? Part of choosing life is living a life of holiness that's found by the word as it transforms us. Would you heed the word of God? Take notice of the warnings and ultimatums. Choose life. Would you do so this morning? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.